What if I told you there was something that you could do to guarantee you would lead a happier life in as short as three weeks that your life could become happier? Would you do it? Well, today we've come to the third of seven different Hebrew words that are translated in our Bible as praise, and they all have slightly different meaning. There are, there's overlap, of course, but, but slightly different nuances to what it means to praise, different aspects of praise. And so what we're trying to do in these weeks of messages is develop a more robust vocabulary of worship. And I want to talk to you today about the sound of a healthy soul. What does a healthy soul sound like? We all know intuitively that healthy things have a certain sound to them. You don't have to get out and look at your busted tire to know that it's flat. You you just know, oh, that's the sound of a tire that's not functioning properly. If you're running a weed whacker or running a chainsaw, you just know like that's not the right sound. When it's running properly, you know that sound. When a cat's happy, you know. Throw that cat in the water. It's a different sound. Right? You just know know, that's not a good sound. That's not a good sound. That's that's a terrible sound. There's actually a name for that. It's called caterwauling. It's a bad sound. It's It's a sound that's just not right. You know sound. If you're a parent, you know the sound of your kids, like, that when they're doing well and when they're bad. And if you're ever talking to a parent and you, like, go, like, hey, do you need to go get your kid? Do you hear them crying in the background? They go, no, no, they're fine. That's a fine cry, right? But then you'll know if you're talking to them, they go, hold on a second, because they know the sound. That's not a good sound. That's a hurdy cry. That's a bad cry. That's, that's not a normal cry. That's not happy laughter. We know the sound of healthy things. Intuitively, we can hear something and go, that sounds not right, right? A doctor might say to you, I don't like the sound of that cough. They're saying that doesn't sound healthy. Health has a sound to it. That's why doctors wear stethoscopes. Your heart, they want to know how it sounds because they can hear the sound of healthy beating. They can hear the sound of healthy breathing. We need to check the sound to see if something's healthy. So what does it mean to have a healthy soul? Psalm 42 and Exodus chapter 17 are going to help us. Let's read uh, Psalm 42 first, and then we will refer to Exodus 17 paraphrasing the teaching of it, synthesizing what we find. And you can read it, of course, on your own for further understanding. But let's, out of the reverence of God's word and out of our sense of honor, stand up as we read this passage from Psalm 42. We're going to read 1 through 8. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God before the pandemic, when everybody went to church, (laughs) with the voice of joy and praise, with a, notice, a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. As you grab your seat, are you thankful for God's word? Even just the reading of it, so refreshing, so healing, so helpful. It was C.S. Lewis who said, describing praise, that it seems to be almost, and I love how he like is arriving at it. He says, it seems to be almost inner health made audible. Praise. Praise, C.S. Lewis said, seems to be inner health that you could hear, inner health that you can detect, or as we said, a sound of a soul that's thriving, a sound of a soul that's healthy. What does a soul that's healthy sound like? It sounds like praise. That's what this psalm says. The solution to a soul disquieted, a soul that's not quite right, a soul that like a horse, you can tell it's thrown a shoe because the sound of its, of its feet striking is now all of a sudden, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, 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 stop. We don't want to keep running it this is a problem. We need to deal with this. The sound's not right anymore. The problem in Psalm 42 is a soul that's disquieted, a soul that's thrown a shoe, a soul that's not firing correctly. And he says, hearing it, hold on, there's, there's something not right. I don't, I don't quite know exactly what's gone wrong, but I don't hear that sound anymore. So the solution, he says, to this disquieted soul, this distressed soul, this soul that's agitated is hope in God. Praise your creator. Give him your song. Sing to him in the night. Sing to him in the day. Sing to him if a lot of people are going to church. Sing to him if you go to church alone. Sing to him if your spouse is safe. Sing to him if you got a prodigal son or daughter. Sing to him if you got leukemia. Sing to him if the headaches won't go away. Sing to him. Praise him. Your soul doesn't sound quite right if it's not full of the praises of God. Inner health made audible. Have you stopped singing? Have you stopped worshiping? Have you stopped praising? What does a healthy soul sound like? It sounds like praise. And verse 4 contains that word, praise, but not just any praise, a kind of praise that in the Hebrew comes under the heading of todah. Todah, that's verse 4. He says, I'm going to sing to you with the voice of joy and the voice of todah, praise. This specific Hebrew word is linked to the word that we studied last week. And if 
you weren't with us last week, we, we, we gave a message called, And They Stay There. With a little help from DJ Khaled and Jesus, we learned that Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross. And as we reach our arms up to him, yada, we are extending our hands to him in praise. Why? Because our sins were put onto him, and they stayed there. They didn't come off, and we didn't have to get a new goat next year. We don't have to go to church again. Our sins are on Jesus. There's no stain on me. There's no sin on me. I raise my hands, yada enthusiastically in celebration. Why? Because my sins are not on me anymore. They went on Jesus, and they stayed there. Yada and Toda. They shared the same root. They have the same core. And so they both have the idea of hand-raising. And so this really is a continuation of that, though with a slight significant tweak. Because where Yoda is to raise those hands up with that sense of exultation and, and celebration, almost a revelry in the goodness of God, a euphoria, like this is too good, I can't even believe it. How this is, this is better than I could have ever have imagined. It's better than I deserve. That's that sense of like, well, I can't even, bless. I'm surrendering to you. This has a specific distinction. For you'll notice in the definition we're putting on the screen, Toda is to offer praise and adoration to God with hands extended as implied in it, but in, notice, confession or thanksgiving. In confession or thanksgiving. It's to adore God so much, that's todah, that you raise your hands up, but you do so with an arm of thanksgiving and an arm of confession. And so now we come to Exodus 17, where the Amalekites have attacked God's people on their way towards the promised land. And Moses gives Joshua, his general, his lieutenant, and his protege a unique assignment. Go down with your army of soldiers and fight the Amalekites. And I'm going to be on top of the mountain overlooking what's happening. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise up my arms over the battle. I'm going to have my arms outstretched, you could say, or todad, or yodad. I'm going to, I'm going to raise up my arms. This picture of worship. It's, it's going to be the worship that's going to win the war. You're going to be fighting like mad down below. You're going to have to give it your all. You're going to have to use your spear and use your sword and do everything that you can do. But we're going to rely on what God only can do, what God uniquely can do. It's going to be my arms outstretched, the same arms raised over the Red Sea in faith in God that caused the Lord to part the waters. And as my arms are outstretched, you're going to look up, and it's going to look like a cross over the battlefield. You're going to see arms outstretched, and it's going to be that that's going to give you the power to do what you're doing down below. And so the Bible says Moses went up top, and Joshua went down below, and Joshua and his men began to fight. They looked up. They saw Moses' arms. But as the battle continued, Moses' arms grew heavy. Put your arms up for just a few minutes. It'll, you eventually will, it'll get to you. So, I mean, how long can you make it? I mean, eventually the arms begin. It's like they don't weigh very much, but even two-pound weights. Mr. I can bench press 315. Two-pound weights, you hold them up for, I mean, hours and hours and hours. Eventually, it's going to begin to fatigue you. Even just your arms, do some circles. They eventually start to get heavy, and it adds up. And so Moses is, is I mean, it's just, oh, ha, oh, ha, 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 ha. And arms in Scripture, arms that are beginning to bow is a picture of weakness. When you don't ta-da, weakness sets in. Fatigue sets in. Why? What, what happens next? Your soul begins to di get disquieted. At least that's what we find in Isaiah 35. We're told to strengthen weak hands 
and make firm, feeble knees. How do we do that? There are two components to keeping the arms raised. I want to give you today the two pillars of Todah, one arm of thanksgiving and one, one arm of confession. And today you might be weak in one of the two, but weeks from now you might find that one strong and the other one beginning to droop. And so what do we need? We need both arms full of adoration and praise powered by thanksgiving and confession. This is a one-two punch of toda. Okay, so if you get these two things in place in your life, you'll be able to say toda. Right? I'm telling you, it's going to be a game changer for what's happening in the valley below. I'm telling you, if you work in a factory, you work in a school, you work in a hospital, it's going to be what you're doing on the battlefield, powered by what's happening up on the hillside. What's happening as we worship and praise our God. So let's start with Thanksgiving. And then we'll move on to confession. This is a two-point message. There's going to be some things we're going to learn under each heading. But under, in your notes, the heading called Thanksgiving. And if you're the artsy type, you can draw the arms raised and write Thanksgiving in them. And then you can write subpoints under each arm. And these notes could be absolutely amazing. Share it on social media. I can't wait to see what you come up with. All right? Thanksgiving is something that we are told is inseparable from how God wants to be worshipped. God graciously enough, has told us how to worship him. He's not left us wondering, like, what is he like? What is he like? Isn't it the worst when you're shopping for someone's birthday? Like, I don't even know what this person would like. I, they're just a weirdo. I don't know what they would enjoy. Or they have everything. And so you're left like, oh, what do I get him? What do I get him? Well, God is a difficult person to shop for because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Except he has told us exactly how to approach him. In fact, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter my courts with thanksgiving in your heart and come before my inner courts, my gates, and then to my courts with praise. So God tells us how to approach him. That is to say, if there's not gratitude in your worship, you're doing it wrong. So that could just be simply something that you've omitted and is missing and that arm has begun to droop. And that's a reason for you losing this specific battle here. So you can't just look at the symptoms of the battle not working in your marriage or the battle not working in your parenting or the battle not working in this over here and go, well, what's going on? I need to, I need to figure this out. No, you need to look to the, the hill above. Has the gratitude arm, the thanksgiving arm, begun to droop? I like how Eugene Peterson translated that verse in his message paraphrase. He writes, enter with the password, thank you. Enter with the password, thank you. Mom, dad, quit saying that please is the magic word. It's thank you. We need to teach our kids gratitude, and we need to model it for them ourselves. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. This is God's will for you. Have you ever wondered, what's God's will for my life? What school? Who do I marry? Do you ever get anxiety thinking about the job you're going to have one day and what you're supposed to do and, and, and where you're supposed to make a home and whether you're supposed to buy a house? Well, listen, one thing I've discovered about God's will is if you do what he has revealed, he'll lead you in what he hasn't. It's, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a recipe for peace. Because there's plenty that's not in God's word, okay? And, and this, the exact city you're supposed to live in. 
All right, don't mess yourself up trying to get all hocus pocus on the scripture. It's not Harry Potter. I remember when Jenny and I were trying to figure out if we were supposed to live in Montana, right? And so I'm reading in Acts and a a man from Macedonia came to Paul and said, please come help me. And I'm like, maybe it's Montana, Macedonia, a man from Montana. And maybe that's what I meant. And oh, but, but this one said over here, he went to the riverside to pray. So maybe there's a city with a river in it I need to find, right? We mess ourselves up when there are probably, I know for sure in my life at times, glaring issues that are out of whack and out of sync with God's revealed will that I have not dealt with. Meanwhile, I'm over here worrying about what he hasn't told me. Honey, do what he did tell you and then worry about what he hasn't yet. You see what I'm saying? So what, what, what that means is you can look to the times in the Bible that God has said, hey, this is my will for you. And make sure whenever you're troubled, this is a, a checklist thing for you, okay? Whenever you're troubled about like, what's God's will with this thing? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Just run through a checklist of all the times. There's not that many of them. Go into a concordance or Google or a view version and look up the times the phrase will of God is used in the actual Bible and then make a compile a list of whether you're doing those things. Hint, it involves sexual purity. It involves salvation. It involves sharing your faith, right? Because it's God's will that everybody uh, comes to the knowledge of God. So it's like, should I go to the school? Hold on, am I sharing my faith where I'm at? Am I sexually pure right now in this area? All right, so here's one uh, other area. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything give, say it with me, thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is God's will for your life that you have the arm called thanksgiving raised up high over your life, and you are regularly telling God how thankful you are for who he is and what he has done and what he's meant to you. So go ahead and just take a second right now and thank him. Just come on, just thank him. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his kindness. Thank him. Thank him, thank him. Forget not all his benefits. It's God's will for you, but it's also really good for you. It's God's will for you, but it's also just simply good for you. Dr. Robert Emmons, professor at UC Davis in California and editor-in-chief of the Journal of Positive Psychiatry, did a study where he had two groups of people. And this was going to be a three-week-long study. And the two groups of people had a very simple task. They had to journal regularly about how they were feeling so there could be records of how they felt going into it, how they felt um, on on the way out of it. So they just had to just constantly be taking their emotional temperature. But they were each given two unique aspects to the study without being told what it was about. Uh, The one group was told, hey, just would you every week uh, find a time to write down five things that bothered you that week, five things that annoyed you that week, Five things that just did not go right in your life that week. Just make a list in your journaling uh, once a week of five things that you're just like, that really bothers me. In other words, they do what you do on your Instagram story so often, right? Uh, and uh, by the way, if that's if people like that, that's just consistently like that, there's this little button called mute. And I suggest you use it because ain't nobody got time for that. If I, if I follow you and every time it's just Eeyore and every time it's just woe is me, guess what? Life's hard enough. I'm looking for positivity. I'm looking for some encouragement. I'm looking for some brick building type of people and not some bullet shooting type of people who are always looking to tear down and always using to cut. I'm looking for edification and encouragement. All right. So here, the, the results of the study 
in three weeks of just focusing. I mean, how long does it take to write five things you're either really thankful for? That was the other group, by the way. The other group had to just write five simple things that they're thankful for that happened to them that week, as opposed to the grumpy group. So you got a happy group and you got a grumpy group. And after the study was over, the results were astounding. They also were, by the way, tracking just rhythms of daily life. They had to write down what they ate. They had to write down how they worked out. They had to write down all these things. And they were testing their blood sugar and, and all sorts of different factors. But the only difference between the two groups was whether you were writing five grumpy things or five happy things. And would you believe it when the dust settled that the group that was writing down what they were thankful for exercised on average 1.5 hours more per week than the grumpy group? Would you believe that the, the happy group spent uh, more time in bed and reported more restful sleep than the grumpy group? And even uh, perhaps and most, most impressive of all was that in addition to just having more energy, sleeping more, exercising more, which of course all of those things are interrelated and work together, that the group that wrote down five things they were happy about once a week reported a 25% increase in just their outlook on life. They got happier just by being thankful. So why do you think your father says, hey, when you come before me, make sure you got that arm of todah up. Make sure you're being thankful for all the benefits, all the blessings, all the ways I've been good to you. Just take a moment and write down something you're thankful for. You will get happier. You will have a better life. I know there's shadows, but guess what? There's sunshine, too. I know there's traffic, but sometimes you're in traffic, and you get to finish a podcast, and you get to listen to a worship song. And God was trying to get a hold of you and pause you up here so you didn't get in a wreck over there. Come on, even in the dark spots, even in the hard times, there's reasons to be thankful. Jot this down. We give thanks for the past with appreciation, A, under thanksgiving. We give thanks in the past. The phrase is used in verse 4, when I remember those things. When I remember those days, when I remember the past, and he references Herman, and he references the Jordan, one of the things you'll find in the Psalms is so many of these songs hearken back to amazing things God has done in the past. That fosters thanksgiving. God, I thank you that you did this. I thank you for my baptism. I thank you for my salvation. When was the last time you just sat down and thanked God for your salvation? for the day you came to know Jesus and tried to remember it and tried to feel it and tried to remember. I raised up my hand. That's right. I did. I sent that text message and I, I went to the circle and got a Bible. I clicked that no God link at, at freshlife.church. I, I was there praying for that. But when was the last time you went back and just thanked God for amazing grace that your eyes were open? You got you to gotta foster appreciation by remembering the past. Jesus said at one point, where are the other nine? It's one of those haunting questions to me in the Bible. You see, because he had just healed 10 lepers. And one came back and todad, almost raised his arms up to Jesus with appreciation and thanksgiving. And Jesus' response is so heartbreaking to me. He said, were there not nine others who didn't come back? Where are the other nine? Didn't I heal 10 people? I wonder how many times God has miraculously intervened in your life and he's left up there going, what the heck? 
Times when he, I asked him to move, he moved, and I didn't go back and say thank you. I didn't go back and, and praise him. I didn't go back and say thank you for answering that prayer or thank you for not answering that prayer. Thank you for that blessing. Thank you for that kindness. Thank you for that mercy. I want to live my life out raising my hand up to say thank you for all the times I put my hand out and said, would you please do it? Any blessing not turned back to praise has the risk of becoming an idol in your life. Something that takes the place of God in your heart. So we give thanks for the past with appreciation. B, we give thanks for the future with expectation. That's the other component. You see, this todah praise doesn't just look backwards. It also looks forward, especially in hard times especially in difficult days. Todah praise isn't just for the person who intuitively and naturally raises their hands up, like, how you like me now? Yeah, praise God. Yeah, thank God. I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, Todah is not just for acceptance speeches. It's for intensive care units. It's for what we do when it looks bleak. It's for what we do when it looks black. It's, it's what we turn to in times of crisis. You can throw up a toe prayer of thanksgiving for what God hasn't done yet, but you believe in your heart that he will do because he's good and he's kind and he's loving and he sees you and he knows you. Many people believe that Psalm 42 was written by King Hezekiah under the pen name of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah uh, is, is used at times of different psalms. And we don't exactly know who they are or whether it was just like a title or position. We know who Korah was. Didn't end well for Korah. But the sons of Korah, what a wonderful thing that you can have a really bad father or grandfather or great-grandfather. There can be a really bad lineage you come from. But because of Jesus, there can be a bloodline. And you can say, I'm in the family tree. I get to choose what DNA I accept and what DNA I don't accept. I don't have to be stuck as an alcoholic because my dad was. I don't have to divorce my wife just because my mom divorced my dad. I can choose something different. You're not doomed to repeat the sins of yesterday, in other words. So the sons of Korah could have been a way all the Korahites chose to say, hey, we, we get to choose who we follow. We get to choose who we obey. We're not doomed to genetic failure just because of 23 and me. As my friend Louis Giglio likes to say, because of the Trinity, we got three in me. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is something different than just DNA. Hezekiah, though, was a man who dealt, as we talked last week, with um, invasion. The Assyrians were invading. And we know he or someone connected to his administration wrote the psalm that we looked at last week. And in a critical time, look at this, this enemy's coming. And God, of course, dispatched just a single angel. Yeah. It's a great story. One angel kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Just shows you how B.A. the angels are, right? One angel. And I don't think it was the biggest, baddest, buffest of them all. I kind of see like Ricardo, like the limpy angel came in and he just like, poof, all the, all the Assyrians fell dead. But Hezekiah didn't just deal with invasion. He also dealt with illness, sickness. In fact, if you read 2 Kings 20, it says in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. It got so bad that when he called for the prophet, because the doctor said there's nothing more we can do. So what did he call the pastor? Isaiah, the prophet, son of Amos, went to him and said to him, 
Thus says the Lord, set your house in order. You shall die and not live. It is a bad day, friends, when even the preacher doesn't got faith for you. You know what I'm saying? He's like, uh, he took one look at him. He said, prepare to meet your maker. I mean, can you imagine? You call for a chaplain in the hospital. You call for, for your campus pastor or a friend who really has faith, and they come in. Isaiah, if Isaiah doesn't have faith for your miracle, <laughs> it's a bad day, right? And Isaiah like goes, ooh, Hezekiah. And Isaiah turns on his heel and says, see you in heaven, bro, and leaves. But Hezekiah wasn't satisfied. He todad. Many people believe he wrote Psalm 42 on his bed. Remember when he referenced praise on his bed? In the prayers he was praying, believing God wasn't done with him on this earth. And he so poured out his todah. Thank you for a miracle. Thank you for a cure. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your calling. Thank you. It literally stopped Isaiah in his tracks as he was getting on his donkey to go home. Let me show it to you. You won't even believe this. Return, God said to Isaiah, and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you will be so well, you're going to go back to church. You're going to go to the house of the Lord. How did it happen? When he was so sick, he physically couldn't go to church. And he's just reminiscing about when I used to get to be with the multitude in church. Now he's so sick, he's infirm, he's in bed. He feels so poisoned by his own circulatory system that's failing to bring the life-giving oxygen to his muscles and to his organs. He's just rem remembering how, how good it felt to be in worship, how good it felt when he could lift his hands. But he didn't stop praying even when his tears were soaking his couch. Verse 8, the Lord, he said, will command his loving kindness in the daytime. In the night, his song shall be with me. His sickness and illness didn't stop him from praying unto the God of his life. That's todah. Yeah. Todah is thanksgiving for what God hasn't done yet, but believing in his goodness. Believing he can turn it out for good. Friends, it's called a sacrifice of praise. Yeah. Jeremiah 17, 26. That's the exact phrase that's used. Todah as a sacrifice. In Jeremiah 17, 26, there's a list of things that the people were to bring to God in their offerings and all that they brought. And included in the list, you'll notice, is I want you to bring sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. Is your praise worthy of being called a sacrifice? Because Worship that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. So is there a cost to your worship? Hebrews 13, if for anybody who's going, that's Old Testament, bro. Hebrews 13, this is literally how the author of Hebrews signs off this epic letter to the Hebrews. He says, verse 15, therefore by him, let us continually offer, say it with me, the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, what does that mean? The fruit of our lips giving what? Thanks to his name. Is your worship worthy of being called a sacrifice? And the harder worship becomes, the more difficult it is to continue to give it, the more important it becomes. I've said before that worship that hurts like hell heals like heaven. 
and that God, when it's difficult to raise your arms, when it doesn't seem like he cares, when it seems like he's only answering other people's requests, in those moments, that's when worship is powerful. That's when worship matters. Don't think for a moment that God sees all worship as equal, nor should you think that he receives all worship. You don't have to make it past Cain and Abel to see that the God up there at times sees what we serve up to him and goes, don't like it. I don't like it. Cain offers up something. God goes, don't like it. I reject that. There are times when as we sing, God sees what's happening in this section. God sees what's happening in the Salt Lake City campus. God sees what's happening in Portland and goes, I see what you're doing and I'm watching your lips moving, but I don't receive your praise. There have been plenty of worship services where what I've given to God, he has said, I don't like that. I don't want it. It's clinging in my, in my ears like a symbol for myriad reasons that you can explore as you look into the scripture. But we know because of the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it's the decoder ring to understanding and unlocking why when Abel gave to God what he did, God said, I like that. I like that praise. Because at times we worship, we sing to him, and guess what he's saying to you as I watch you praise? I like that. I see that. I receive that. I'm ready to move. I see your toda. I see what you've got going. I see what's in your heart. So, so what is it that made him accept Abel's and reject Cain's? What is it at times that God sees rising up like incense to heaven in our hearts and goes, that's amazing. Do you see that, Gabriel? Do you see that? Do you, do you notice that? I'm ready to move on that. I can work with that. I like the sound of that sounds healthy to me. The answer is faith. By faith, Abel offered what he did. And Cain did not give faith. So if it is impossible to please God without faith, we have to ask the question, does our praise take faith? Or could anybody do that? Could we walk by human understanding? And does it make sense to praise God like we're praising him in the situation we're in? And the exact way, the mechanism, everything about our worship, did it take faith? That's what we should be asking ourselves the question. Does it take faith? And here's what I've learned about faith. If you don't feel stupid, you're doing it wrong. That's faith to me. Every time someone did something mighty in faith, it looked stupid, felt stupid in the moment. And so often when I really received that blessing that I know God's been pleased, it took faith and I felt stupid in the moment. I've been in some great church services in my life. I've been in arenas around the world full of thousands upon thousands of people with a euphoria and a verging on hysteria that you don't even have to believe in God to feel like there's something I feel here. There's goosebumps. Of course that's happening. The best speakers, the best sound system, the most amazing audio engineer, the, the most talented musicians, that praise rises up. And you know, I'm not nothing against that. That's amazing when you get it, when you got those moments. But sometimes in those moments, it doesn't take too much faith to give God your best praise. I'm telling you, when you're in our pulsing campus and it's loose fill and third song, it's bad attendance. And maybe the band didn't do that great of a job. And I'm telling you, in those days when you say, I'm going to worship him anyway, I'm going to give it my all like I'm in Madison Square Garden. I'm telling you, God doesn't look at the AT&T Stadium with Chris Tomlin at the helm and 100,000 people spilling over and see the person who gets swept up into that and goes, now I can praise him and foolishly dance before my king. And to see the person at the Maverick City music concert, you can barely get in, who gets caught up and now can dance before God all of a sudden. You think God's impressed by that? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things. 
But when it costs you something, when, it, when it's not the cool thing to do, when you, have, when you feel like you stand out, when everybody is chill, everyone's got hands in pockets, everyone's got the coffee, everyone's reacting like the resurrection's just some normal thing, and you choose to say, hold on a second, we're talking about the living God here. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to sing to him. I'm going to toe da. And of course, these are all Western examples. We, to, to, we should actually be talking about the person in Iran who's going to worship God and is going to get beat to death. And the person is going to lose their life. Let's not forget for a moment our definition of persecution is being mocked on Instagram. <laughs> Sacrifice of praise. Thirdly, C, give thanks in the present to stay on mission. We give thanks in the present to stay on mission. It keeps us with eyes on eternity. You'll notice in verse 4, when he uses the word todah, it's in connection to a pilgrim feast. Look at it one more time. I give you my voice of joy and praise, todah, as I worship with this multitude that kept a, jo- a pilgrim feast. He's rem- reminiscing about church, and it was a pilgrim feast. It was a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a thing that they had to do to travel to. You had to go to the pilgrim festivals. It it kept you like Abraham saying, this earth is not my home. I'm a pilgrim here. This is a temporary thing here. I know this job. I know this this is my dream house, my dream job. Well, you're going to live in it 70 or 80 years if you don't get hit by a bus, honey. Heaven's your home. You're going to leave it all eventually. Your your kids are going to leave home. So if your kids are the center of your your heart, then you're dooming yourself to fail. If they're the nucleus that the cells move around, what happens when they go off to college? What happens if the marriage is at the middle? What happens if the career is at the middle? What happens when you inevitably aren't the coolest thing, hottest thing, youngest thing around? What, what happens if anything's making up your identity that's not Jesus Christ? You're not a pilgrim anymore because we're on a pilgrimage moving towards the city whose builder and maker is God, moving towards heaven, our eternal home, moving towards our price, moving towards our treasure, moving towards the resurrection, towards glorified bodies, towards the throne. Pilgrim, I'm a pilgrim. I can be blessed here. I can abased, be abased. I can abound. But it's not who I am. That's why we tithe, to regularly remind our hearts it all belongs to God. It all is his. Todah, we stay on mission by reminding ourselves we're pilgrims by keeping our minds on heaven and thanking God for what's truly our identity. All right, that's the first half. Second half, confession. Second arm of Todah is confession. And confession is something that beginning to end is how we receive cleansing and forgiveness and being made right on the inside so that our soul can purr again, so our soul can be right. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. It's the confession of sins that leads to the forgiveness because he is faithful, 1 John 1, 9, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can't just be thankful. We also must confess and keep our account settled before God. We confess for these four reasons. Number one, to be restored relationally. To be restored relationally. If you're in Christ, the sin stays there on him, never comes back to you and you have a bad week and look at porn again, have a bad week, and go back to Tinder again, have a bad week, and cuss someone out on the drive to work again. You're not like, I need to get saved again. No, no, we don't confess so, there's not, so, that, so, there's, so the punitive effects of sin aren't, aren't going to be a factor in our lives anymore. That's settled once and for all. And they stay there, right? Yeah. We confess to be restored relationally because we're in relationship with someone who took our bill and paid it forever. 
And so we go, oh, I did it again. I want to be back to right with you. Not so that you're not going to send me to hell, but because you've said you never would. And so I just, I just, I wouldn't sleep well knowing someone who loves me that purely knows because he's with me all the time that I did that thing again. So I'm telling you so I can be restored relationally. I raise my second arm of, of confession up, keeping it high over the battlefield of my life to say, I confess that what I did was wrong. You saw that what I did was wrong, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please cleanse me from that. I don't want to do that again, Father. I love you. Jesus said to him, John 13, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is already completely clean. Jesus cleaned you head to toe at the cross. So when you sin again, you just need your feet washed. You don't need a whole head-to-toe bath. That's what Peter said. Well, get washed me head-to-toe. Like, ah, easy, buddy. Just need to wash your feet. You're already clean. Now we just need to spot clean you. Spot clean the feet because that's gotten on you again, and it's putting some distance between us as far as our friendship goes. We confess, secondly, to be reunited internally. What does the sound of God's presence do to you when you're in sin your reaction is fear, like Adam. i got to hide. The sound, the sound of a healthy soul hears the sound of God walking. Goes, I can't wait for worship. I can't wait for church. But when you've sinned that week in a, in a, in a way where you did it again, where you've fallen, where you, you've been fleshly, where you haven't been honestly with those hands that you raised up, loving your neighbor, those lips that you praised God with have been cursing people made in his image. You don't, your heart doesn't leap at the thought of worship. You're afraid because why? You divided yourself through sin. Sin always splits the self. And if you're not careful, you become, like James says, a double-minded man. Every time you do wrong, a little piece of you gets fractured where it's having to worry about, does my wife know I did that? Did my kids see what was on the internet history when they opened the computer to do school? Did they see what I was like? So a little piece of you has to be pulled out into covering your tracks and worrying about this and worrying about that. And pretty soon you, you wake up one day and you're not just, here I am, God. Yay, God, I raise my hands to you because you're not leaping at the sound of the father walking. You hear his engine running in the driveway and you have to clean up, clean up, clean up, clean up, clean up. Clean up. What mess did I make that he's, you're split sold. So confession, raising the arm of confession, going, God, you saw that. I did that. I hate that. It was paid for forever, but I don't want to do it again. I don't want to do that again because it's not good for me. It's not the best for me. I want to do what pleases you. I want to do what makes your heart happy. I want to do what's in my own best interest. And it reunites us to ourself, not just to our God. That's why David prayed, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Notice, unite my heart to fear your name. Because there's little pieces of my heart that are holding back. I want them united. I want the whole thing to honor you. So I raise that confession arm up, calling a spade a spade, calling out that sin and repenting from it. God, I hate that thing. We confess, thirdly, to be healed effectively. And to be healed effectively, our confession can't just be to God. It also has to involve his people. It also has to involve his family. One interesting detail about the word todah is that it can also be translated as choir. It's never a solo act. It's never just about one singer that praises God with a, a solitary song. It, the idea is there are other voices around you, other voices praising God with you. So when you confess to God and you receive that relational wholeness and forgiveness, there also needs to be someone else who you tell about. It. Jesus actually said, if you're ever worshiping God and you realize, oh, there's someone who I've wronged and they're here in the room, leave your gift at the altar and turn to that person. You might have seen me before we take communion, just lean over Jenny and go, yep, that's, that's, 
not okay. The thing that, you know, and so asking for forgiveness for her to, to, to leave my gift at the altar and be right with this person. The phone call that I received this week from the friend who told me I did it again and I'm so sorry, please pray for me. I, and I hate that I have to call you. I'm like, I'm so grateful you called me. This is not weakness. This is what strength looks like. This is toda. This is what power looks like. Let me pray for you. Let me speak life over you. Let me encourage you to walk in the light today. Satan has lost his stranglehold because of your willingness to be vulnerable. Now, he doesn't have this big secret that you're carrying around. We confess to be healed effectively. James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We finally confess to experience his glory. And this is where I must tell you that confession has more than one meaning. In fact, William Mounts, a linguistic expert, said the verb tada can also mean the acknowledgement of one's sins. Sure, God is a God who expects us to confess our sins, for he is a God of unfailing love and mercy. But involved in that process is confessing the name of the Lord, acknowledging that from him alone is forgiveness possible. So our thanksgiving arm is raised up, thanking God for the past, the present, and the future. But our todah arm up is confessing the ways that we slipped up, the ways that we messed up, the ways that we've fallen short, both to God and to other people. But that's not where we end. The confession cannot just mean I confess I did the wrong thing. It also can mean I confess my faith. I confess who you are. I declare who you are. I'm confessing that I still believe. I'm confessing not just what I'm not. I'm confessing who you are. Confession. This is our confession. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, died, and was buried, who descended to the dead. I believe that he rose from the dead on the third day. I believe that he ascended to heaven from which his spirit came. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. We're confessing Todah, who is like the Lord, mighty in power. Who is like the Lord, majestic in strength. Who is like the Lord who heals your, your sicknesses, who forgives your sins, who crowns you with loving kindnesses, whose mercy is new every morning. I confess not just what Levi isn't. I confess who Jesus is. And when I do that, when I've got both arms raised in praise, my soul is no longer disquieted within me. The depression has to bow. The anxiety has to bow. The sickness, whether he heals it now or in heaven, must bow. I'm hoping in God. I shall yet praise him. I bought my first land lawnmower this year, used. And figuring out how to use it has been a learning curve, a little process. And 
I made a mistake. I put two-stroke oil in it instead of four-stroke. Unmixed instead of mixed. Poured it in where the gas goes, just like an idiot would. And, uh, or in the oil tank instead of, anyhow, I'm just, I still didn't even have it all right. <laughs> but I texted a friend because it didn't sound right. It was sputtering, it was leaking, it just, it was, it was running and cutting, but I felt like it might cut me. <laughs> I could just tell it wasn't sounding correct because of what was being put into it. C.S. Lewis said that the human engine, God built it in such a way that it was meant to run on himself. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. So if you see down on the battlefield of your life something that's not going right and you're trying to understand it all, you need to look to the hill and see are the arms raised up over your life that's putting the proper fuel in. Don't look for the fruit. Look at the root. How has your praise gone off track? Or how has your song continued to ring out even while there are glaring issues of sin in your life that haven't been dealt with? Don't walk on God's carpet with dirty feet when Jesus kneels ready to wash them. If you would just confess your sin. Don't let a single blessing in your life go unthanked. So Lord, we, we want our souls healthy. We want our souls healthy. More than anything we want from you, we want you. You are our fuel. You are our oxygen. Help us to see our lungs pant for you. Our tongues they need nothing more but the living, pure water that you offer. In this moment of faith and expectation, the name of Jesus has been exalted. He is here present, mighty to save. If you need to believe in your heart and to confess with your mouth that he is Lord, he will rush in. If that's you I'm describing, could I just ask that you would pray out loud with us as we lead you in a, a statement of faith, a confession of faith to make Jesus your Lord so that you don't perish and remain under God's wrath and remain in sin. What a thought to have Jesus have paid your bill, but to go to hell with no one to blame but yourself. That will be your story unless you repent. And God loves you so much, he doesn't want that to happen. That's why his arms are extended towards you. Will you return the favor? Say this with us. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself, but you can. So I believe today that you are enough, that you are my life, and I give it to you in Jesus' name.